Hi, folks. So, uh, it's been a while since you've heard from us. We didn't ghost you, we promise. There's just been a, a little, just a teeny-weeny global pandemic happening. Not sure if you've heard. So bringing the pod back to life is a fire, fire guest, Retta, who is incredibly talented and thoughtful. On this very heavy-hitting episode, we attempt to sort through some complex topics. We talk about defining values and our life's calling. We talk about the pursuit of our passions and how that translates to quality of life. And we also talk about how what we do defines us to ourselves and to others. We really think you'll enjoy this episode if you love to fuck small talk. So enjoy it and let us know what you think. Like I'm, I've been really looking forward to this particular conversation uh, with you yeah. Rita, for a while. Like, Hella excited. Also, because this, this is something that I think about like semi-constantly. Like I'll just be in the shower being like, fuck, man. Oh, boy. <laughs> but, man, I hope we can find a way to shed some light because I'm confused too. So, hey, let's see Aren't what we all? <laughs> Aren't we all? Okay. Uh, so our typical way of introducing our guests is to ask how they know us. So how, how do you know us? <laughs> so, uh, so I know Danny from the student executive world. Uh, that is more glorified than it should be. Um, <laughs> and we met in Montreal on a super bougie conference. And, uh, and me and Ashe actually grew up together. We, uh, <laughs> no, no, we just met. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. We should go with it, though. We should go with it. It's a good backstory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I will say I've partied a decent amount. Ashe can attest to that. Uh, one of the top five most partying I ever did in three consecutive days was with Retta. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, hey. It was wild, yo. <laughs> it was mental. And then having the next day to talk about, like, student government and, like, health and dental plans, and we're all like, Jesus Christ. And it was like, cool, yeah, just sign. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember the, the next day after that conference, uh, I woke up. And they were, everyone was looking for me and I was, and finally they, they ended up finding me at like, and so they, there was a cab waiting downstairs. We got in the cab, got to the, the airport, finally made it on the plane. We had to like hold down the plane. It was funny. It was funny. We made it back on time. Thank God. <laughs> That's yeah. really funny because we almost missed our flight home. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm no sensing way. a trend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> were we in Vancouver together as well or no? Yeah. Oh yeah, we went. We went on that bike ride. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, true. I forgot oh about my God. Yo, how's Ben doing? Ah, uh, he's my ex, so not great. <laughs> <laughs> this got real. Edit. 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 <laughs> no, I'm okay. Like I've talked about him regularly. Like it's oh, it's shit. no troubles. Oh, I'm sorry. We could kill that conversation now. Okay. <laughs> uh, Speaking yeah. of um, things that we used to do. Um... <laughs> good one. Good one. Good sorry, one. Sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to like swing that into a transition. I just really want to say that line. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> now that we've heard about things that we used to do, I was going to ask like, what, what's, uh, what's your current deal, right? I, that's how you and Danny met, but then what, what do you got going on right now? Yeah. So, uh, so I'll, maybe I'll give you like the, the transition outside of my CUSA life. I feel like that's where my real life started. CUSA. Yeah. But um, what, what, what's CUSA? What does it stand for? Oh, Carleton University Student Association. Okay. So that, that was your student, uh, politics experience and then you went into the rest of it that's right that's got it, right got it. Continue. Um, after university i started my i was really involved within the um i had a deep love and a deep passion for spoken word poetry specifically but but within the arts in general and uh and so i started my own arts organization called speak uh in in ottawa and it did really well so we focused on like workshops we focused on throwing these like big large-scale showcases um and throwing like really gutter low-key poetry jams poetry slams uh and so initially we had started as a fundraising deal so i'm originally ethnically i'm from libya and this was around 2012 is where i kind of came up with the idea and then 2000 I believe end of 2012, beginning of 2013 is where I started throwing the first shows, which were small scale poetry slams. Uh, and were, you the, were you the originator of the idea to throw these shows? Yeah, yeah. So it was, okay, it was cool. my kind of idea. And it was all to raise money for refugees coming out of Libya at that time. That's dope. But it did so well that I'm like, yo, there could be a real future for this thing here. And so we jumped into creating an actual organization 
um, and, and it expanded a lot. So the, the end of it, and I'll jump to the conclusion that there was an end to it. So the end of it was, uh, was the coolest show, no, second coolest show I've ever been to. And we ran it and I'm super proud of it because it was a visual arts show. It was like a gallery plus live performances plus a fashion show that was all set up in one open area. And they were all, they all had a relationship with each other. It oh, was, yeah, it was really, really cool. We that's ran encompassing it a lot of arts and culture. Yeah, yeah. We ran it at Lansdowne and it was, there was like huge pictures that people had painted uh, fall, like hanging down from the ceiling. And then there was a circular stage in the middle where there was a full band playing. Whoa. Um, yeah, we had, uh, we had a no barrier fashion show. So there was chairs set up and there was people doing hair and makeup for the, for the models. And then we had a mannequin fashion show. So the models would, would actually stand there for long periods of time and be like straight faced. And everybody would just look at them and, and look at the clothes that were on them. It was an unreal show. We sold out. We had about 600 people come. Damn. So it was so cool. And then I realized that we had six. And our whole thing with it was having an outlet for the arts while also being absolutely accessible to everybody who could come. Because mm-hmm. that's what I hate about the arts community is that it's very elitist. That mm-hmm you're not going to find urban art at the National Art Gallery, you know? Um, so sure. our accessibility was super important for us. So $10 tickets, so it was super cheap. But then after looking at all of our expenses and looking at the money that came in, I realized at that point that this was not a sustainable business model. Uh, so we shut it down after that. And then I decided to get a real job, got a job with the government. And yeah, and then I feel like I'm getting into all of it now, but I'll keep it short. Getting a job with the government also meant that I had to find something to feed my passion as well. Uh, and so right now I am a columnist for Shifter Magazine, uh, writing on arts and culture. Um, and I'm also sitting on the board of directors for the Ottawa Arts Council. So those are the main things that take the majority of my time other than working for the government of Canada. So you, you write a lot of opinion pieces, correct? Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Do you, because I've seen you push some of the articles that you've wrote on your personal social media. Yeah, uh, right. Do you have people like push back a lot? Like, do you have to mitigate people like firing at you on your own social media about stuff? Yeah, for sure. And I love it. I love it. Cause <laughs> okay. I, I think it's the best when it gets irate because I wrote an article about, um, about J Cole's last album. And it was a, it was a review on his last album. And somebody commented on that article that they were going to find me in the street and they were going to shoot me. And I Holy said, fucking shit. Yeah. I said, yo, I'm important. I'm important. <laughs> no, wait, what'd you, what'd you say about J. Cole? Damn. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yo, it was, uh, it was pretty wild. But, but my whole thing was that he, he had a good album, but it wasn't a great album. And I wasn't even being rude. Like I love J. Cole. So yeah, it was, it was funny. So yes, I do get people that are like super, but I love it. You know what? Yeah, people need to learn how to deal with the emotions for sure. But I love the fact that there's passion there. I, I think that's dope. And maybe I'm just wait, trying to find a way to look at it extremely positively. But Yeah, I'd say that's like a super optimistic way to look at that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I respect it completely. Uh, but anger stresses me out so much. So oh, I'm yeah. like, take three deep breaths, man, and just... Right, right. I don't know how many people I've heard get a death threat and be like, yo, that's dope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yo, I made it, son, I made it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's interesting, though, is that you were clearly like, I work at the government, but then I have to, f- since I'm doing that, I have to find something else to feed my passion. So you, what you do that primarily earns you money, it seems like is not what drives your passion yeah not for me i feel like my job personally is very it's intellectually stimulating for sure but the heartstrings are not in the right place where it comes to it and i think people are so lucky who have the ability to work a nine to five that it feeds their passion as well i i you know i'm still on the search for it and i hope that i find it one day but i know many people who who haven't found it and sometimes it's just not sustainable and i think that's okay I've always, I've always wondered too, like when you talk about like finding your passion, to me, it's never been clear. You know what I mean? Like some people are like, oh, you know what? Boom. This is my life's calling. This is what I'm going to spend my time doing. I love this so much. This is it. And to me, there's been so much, like almost everything that I, 
I can talk myself into loving almost everything. I'm like, oh, this was super fun. I want to do more of this. This right. was great. I want to do more of this. Right. And so like, I just, I'm, I'm having, I don't know what is, what's a life's calling. Clearly what you're saying is that your main job is not your quote unquote life's calling. Right. That, that's even a thing that we can say. Man, I'm the same way. And, and the way that I see it, like, I, I think what I've come down to, the most important discovery I think that I've found in my life personally is that I don't need to determine what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, but I need to de- definitely determine who I'm going to be for the rest of my life. And if I can get that part right, then at least I have a navigation route to be able to say this aligns with who I want to be or doesn't align with who I want to be. That provides me with a great blueprint to say, I want to take on this hobby or this hobby because it aligns with this plan of who I see myself as being. But I think that's the more important question because I, I, you're right. I, I don't know if there's necessarily a passion and if a passion has a finite timeline or not. I was really into baking pizzas for a while. You know, I, I got a job at, at Farinella Pizzeria. In, Wait, like while you're working at the government? This is while I was working at the government. So, so yeah. So I'll give you, I'll give you the bigger story behind this. I feel like the average life, and I don't know the numbers, but let's say the average life is like 70, maybe in Canada, 75, 80 years old. Sounds right. Yeah. That is one life that you have to live. So how many lives can I fit into that one life? How many different experiences can I fit into and cram into this one experience and and journey of life? And so for me, it's like, if I see something I like or see something that I want to do, I've gotten on this new attitude where I'm like, yo, I'm just going to do it. And if it doesn't align with the rest of my life, then sure. As long as it aligns with my values and whatever. And, uh, and so this unbelievable pizza chef uh, named Cesare, shout out Ches and Farinella, um, opened up this, this pizza shop uh, in Ottawa. And I went in and I tried the pizza. And I actually have my, a friend of mine, her name is May, and she was the fashion director at Speak and she handed all the fashion stuff. Uh, and she's now their operations manager, I believe that's her title. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. And so, and so. I went in and tried some of the pizza and it was phenomenal. And I'm like, done. I'm going to learn how to make pizza. <laughs> and so I got a part-time job there while I was working for the government and I learned how to make the pizza. And it was a very fulfilling experience because it showed me that although this has nothing to do with my current life, nor does it probably have any innate value for the rest of my life, I did it and I'm happy with, and I really enjoyed the experience of learning it. Um, so yeah, so how many, so maybe at the end of my life, I can say I can make pizzas. Like we said earlier, I can make a brisket. Um, you know, maybe I could be, I, could, I have carpentry skills. Maybe I could, you know what I mean? How many lives can I actually fit into this one life? And I think that's what it really comes down to for me. So, so that I'm curious is like going into the whole pizza experience, you, you were talking about how you have this idea of who you want to be and then you're going to pursue experiences and things that are going to, and knowledge is going to make you closer to being that person that you want to be. Is, mm. is like when you thought of who you wanted to be is being a very, a pizza artist. I'm going to, I don't know what the term is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a fine pizza craftsman. Was that <laughs> on the list of things? And then you like, you saw an opportunity, you just took it or did it get added to the list when you realized you love this pizza so much? I think it's the idea of being a sustainer and, and a nourisher. I think that's, that's a part of, that aligns well with the idea of who I want to be in life. And so if I could treat people to an unbelievably tasting pizza, then I'm like, that, that aligns with the idea of being a sustainer and a nourisher. You know what so I mean? the, there's a chance that it just happened to be pizza. Like it could have been any, like if you had tried something else that absolutely blew your mind and you had an opportunity to work there, yeah. it could have not been pizza at all. Totally, could have been oysters, like, like could have been whatever it is, you know what I mean? And, and I think that's what it's going to continue to be. I think there's going to be opportunities that come up that align with these certain values of who I want to be that are totally unrelated. And I'm just going to pick them up because this adds to the acumen that, uh, of what my life is. Yeah. And we've talked about this on past episodes of parental and education influence on you have to pick a career and like you have to do the same thing for the rest of your life because that's what our parents did and like if you if you go off track then that's a risk for being unsuccessful or losing out on opportunities that are more stable and get you that steady income 
but may not be happy. Like I know neither of my parents are happy in their careers. (laughs) And for me, it was like redefining what success means because success isn't necessarily that stable office job that I don't really talk to that many people. And I punch in some numbers because I got a degree in some technical field. For me, it's like I had to define that people and interactions with people could be my definition of success. And not being too hard on myself that if I want to follow this passion that like having to, I don't know if you've had to justify to people in your life, this is a good idea or this is a good idea because I'm pursuing it or I want to do it. Like, I feel like I am fighting a little bit of an uphill battle sometimes when I'm like, I think I'm going to take this on. And I get all these haters just being like, well, uh, like, have you thought about, and I'm like, Shh, I'm trying it. Like, let <laughs> right. me try. Right. Right. Like, yeah. No, I, I think for me, there's definitely been that, but I think I've been blessed with the fact that I like rarely care about those opinions. I'm like, yeah, Ooh, thanks for your opinion. Teaching your ways. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I could. I wish I knew how. Like, I, I think it's it's just like a gift that I've been given that I'm like. For me, the is that, most. Is that, sorry, does that apply even if it's like your family, your your your, your parents, your mom? Like you gotta dad. have that one person or group that gets you that makes you you're, think like you're absolutely right. If it's if it's my parents, then it's just like yeah all right I, like you win like you constantly for me it's like my parents you always win and also but, me right pardon me and also me i'm in that yeah, just only for the fact that we've grown up together yes but, exactly uh, <laughs> but you know, people are going to listen to this and think that we actually grew up together yeah no, we, we met like 20 minutes ago yeah <laughs> on zoom not even like we're not in person um but yeah but no i think uh i think other than my parents i'm very much like i i love the idea of quitting this is going to sound kind of crazy. Oh my but, God. I'm so excited about this. I love this. <laughs> but, but the idea that like what really genuinely holds me down to something, like there's nothing that holds me down. If I tried that pizza shop, I, I could not have cared less if I went in for a shift, hated it and left and never tried it again. At least I could say I tried to incorporate that experience into the journey of my life. You know what I mean? I That's agree a really completely. refreshing way to look at it. Be a little transparent, but also you got to do what you got to do. So like quit, like you're not, no one's going to, be angry at you for following what is right for you, or at least if they are, then bye. I like, I like a lot of what you said too. Like, I, I mean, the concept of tethering your, it's, it's not going to sound revolutionary when I say it, but I, <laughs> I don't think people think about it this way. So just hear me out. The concept of not tethering your life path or your life journey to specific experiences, but rather using values to determine what those experiences are going to be, I think is a really novel idea. And I think that it, I love it. Like, because frankly, I find a lot of what people do when you talk about, Hey, what do you, what's your, what's your passion? What do you like to do? A lot of us, myself included, pigeonhole ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like, you know what I mean? I'll be like, Oh yeah. A lot of people will first off immediately talk about, honestly, I'm just citing my personal experiences oh, I like to play this sport. I like to watch this. I like to do this, right? I don't know that I've heard people say, I like to, I like to find things that, you know, inspire me. I don't know that I've heard people say, like frame it up in, a, in terms of values, right? I, I like, I don't know. They always go to a specific action or a specific activity, but it's not, I like to do things that add value to the world. I like to do things that enrich other people's lives. Right, right. right. But I, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing or not. And truly, like, I, I don't, I think the reason that I've built myself up this way is, to, I don't want to say build, I'm building myself up this way, is only for the fact that I, I don't have a specific thing, similar to what you were saying earlier, that there are some people in, like, I know a guy, his name is Dom Laporte. He was one of the artists that we had at Speak. And this dude is an, he is literally the best painter I have seen existing period like currently period like he is amazing and you can tell that he loves what he does and he accepts that pigeonhole he loves the fact Mm. that he does that i don't have that one thing that i'm like i love this and i want it to encompass my life completely i don't know if that's a negative thing or a positive because because i could tell you right now dom is what i would like i'm putting a lot of words in his mouth but he's pretty like set in stone and very focused on what his craft is i'm not i'm like what is what's next i'm like looking around like what can i what can i grab onto that's next and learn from those experiences 
So I don't know where the benefit, I don't know which one is better. I don't know if one is better than the other or not. You're talking to two people who very much echo that sentiment. And we have talked about it just in between our, in our friendship of like grappling with not taking it negatively because we don't feel like an quote unquote expert in any one field, but choosing to say, okay, we can, we can choose because this is our passion, choose to build a portfolio in our world of all of the different interests that make up who we are. I don't think it makes us any less of a person if we don't have one. I don't think your uh, your friend Dom is less of a successful person if they're just picking one versus a portfolio. Like I think both make up a whole. Right, right. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I think I think then one of my questions coming into this episode was like what does the term life's calling mean? And is that still relevant? And I think the answer is in front of us right now. Like, I think we can, I- We solved it already. We solved it. This <laughs> end the episode, peace. No, I think, I think I feel comfortable saying like, okay, well, I guess I was biased coming into this thinking that, okay, this is a completely outdated concept of a life's calling. Sounds like it's not. Like for some people, you find that one thing and then you're like, oh my God, this is it. This is what I'm going to do for, to like, I'm a skeleton now. Um, and then that's a weird way of saying dying. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but so, so it sounds like for some people it's not outdated, but I think what needs to be spoken about more is that for a lot of people, and I think the three of us on this, on this chat included, there's not one life's calling. There's not one thing that you, I can circle and say, Hey, this is my life's calling. And I, I feel like, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you two are kind of in that same boat. I, to me, life calling is just another way of saying stuff where like, insanely disproportionately passionate about and who says it has to be one thing right right i think do you guys remember Mazel's hierarchy of needs yeah yep so, how about we refresh it though for people that might not <laughs> so Mazel's hierarchy of needs from you're asking me to refresh it, but i don't even know if i know it fully but so imagine a uh, a triangle and at the bottom of that triangle exists like physiological needs so like Shopping. food water be able to sustain life essentially and then on top of that comes safety. And on top of that, I think is like, like family, I believe is, is somewhere in Shelters there. Shelters in there somewhere, yeah. Shelters yeah. at the bottom. Right. And so, and so it, it gradually, basically it's to say that you need the last foundation to be able to grow on the foundation on top of that. And I think that's absolutely true when it comes to, Danny, you were saying like, for example, your parents are in this career and they've chosen a career and they exist with that career. So I think our... Our age group is, is one, Ashay, coming back to the question, our age group is almost the first that has this uh, ability to be at the top of that pyramid, which is self-actualization. Before that, I feel like the passion was you jump into a factory and some people's pa- passions were working in this factory for 40 years, 50 years, getting their, their, their retirement, um, you know, creating this life for their families. And that was that I, I feel like that was the passion. The passion was being a sustainer for their families. I feel I feel like I want to acknowledge though that that's that's a that's a privileged position mm-hmm. that we're in. It's to be in the, in the actualization phase, right? Like I feel like as quality of life globally, mm-hmm. and granted that's not the same for every country, every region. As mm-hmm. the global quality of life has increased, it's allowed humanity in general to creep closer to the top of of that shift but for a, a huge portion of the world that's not true that whatever their day-to-day is is literally to survive 100 percent. Right? so it's i think there's a privilege baked into saying like we are able to devote our time to self-actualization absolutely i don't think you're wrong i think as quality of life has gone up all of us have crept upwards on that hierarchy but i see what you're saying right right and, and it's yeah so so it is important to note that in our situation currently where we exist you know regionally that, that this is the situation and I think with that being said, there are challenges that come with that self-actualization because now you almost need to fulfill that. And if you don't, you feel lesser than. So, which comes back to the question of what is the passion? And if you don't fulfill the passion, now you feel lesser than. Yeah. And it's interesting that we talked a bit about privilege, but coming from seeing our parents who may not have those privileges to be able to focus on fulfillment and passion and and following their life stream outside of just a monetary thing 
that because we've seen that or we're all woke people who look at the world and recognize that we're not all in the same boat, that uh, we chose to center our passions around people and celebrating success of others and giving other people a spotlight and a platform to talk. So using sort of our privilege as an effort to connect people. And I think that that's a really cool thing that we've chosen to do with our time, having seen sort of the both sides of the world that we're choosing. Okay, yeah, this is closer to our bottom of our pyramid now because we have the house, the shelter, the whatever, uh, kind of like a given a little bit. I'm going to use that because I think we do. That our self-actualization is closer to our bottom of our pyramid that we can say, okay, we we got to hustle. Like, I don't personally think I couldn't hustle. Like, I think, yes, it's my life calling, but you talk about working for the government and that not being enough. Like, we have to put ourselves into the world and and work with other people and work with other passions and and hear what the world has to say. Like, I just think it's a really interesting restructure of that hierarchy for us. Yeah, I I agree with you completely. I think when we're talking about your passion and, and kind of building on what you said, Retta, about Maslow's hierarchy, it's the question is what is giving you value in life? What makes you feel like you're adding value to your life? To me, that's what passions are for me, right? Like, I don't, I don't know that if when I'm doing things that are, I'm not passionate about that I feel like I'm adding value to my own life. For example, yeah. your, your pizza example, Retta, right? You did that because you were like, this is something I want to have in my life. Boom, done. I got it. I did it. Right. And I feel like using your example from earlier is that you feel more fulfilled when you're, when you feel like you're adding value to your life. So that being said in previous generations, a long time ago, what you didn't have was shelter, food, the necessities of living the bottom of that hierarchy. So when you were fulfilling those, you felt value and therefore it sparked passion. Now I'm just repackaging exactly what we've said for the past five minutes, but we have all that met. And so the only way left that we can add more value to our life is that self-actualization piece. Yeah. And when we don't have it, when we're not actively pursuing that because everything else is kind of relatively provided for us, we feel like, oh man, I'm not, what am I doing? Man, that, no, that, that summary was like beautiful. I feel like you should just publish that just as a paragraph, <laughs> as itself, just as it exists, publish it alone with no context whatsoever. And, just, and then at the end, just say, you're welcome. <laughs> So I, my last tweet was in 2014. Do you think I just post a series of tweets? And then I love that. Text it? I love to do that, man. Oh, that'd be so good. No, I think, I think you just see one of eight. <laughs> I think you explained it perfectly. That, that, that's exactly it. And then I think when I think of passion, although I think your definition is good, like, yeah, it, it needs to add value to your life for sure. When I think about it, I ask myself, when we talk about the bigger scheme. So yeah, there's a a bunch of these little things that add into it. But if I were on my deathbed and, you know, yeah, about to, that's it. Am I going to be, what, what is it going to take for me to be happy with what I've given to the world? And then I think that relates to, for me, at least, what impact have I made? You know, there's a saying in Islam where um, it's, it's one of the prophetic traditions that, essentially the meaning behind it is if you pass away and nobody in the earth realizes that you've passed away, then there's a problem with your existence on the earth. That if you haven't left anything that people are like now deprived from because you're not there anymore, then really truly what has been your, your contribution. And if you don't contribute anything after the gift of life, 70, 80 years of, of life that we don't even comprehend what that friggin' means, then that's kind of a waste to me. That's a waste of an existence, which is super harsh. But this is my, the, the way that I deal with it with myself. And I think that's what allows me to push myself to be able to ensure that I am fulfilled so that when it comes to that situation, I'm not freaking out and I can recognize that, yes, I've left something to the world. That's really cool. I was just listening to a podcast this week ologies podcast great podcast she has different experts come on and um the episode is about kissology she always like puts the generic term instead of the science term she puts that in brackets but she was talking the the uh, scientist she had on she was talking about how humans the uniqueness of humans is that we have the ability to think outside of ourselves and think of ourselves almost in like the third person so we see and can 
analyze our impact on the world. And he talks about how that actually is our motivation for connecting with people because we see outside of ourselves. We want to see what our impact is. We like make up stories in our brains mm. um, about the potential of the future and, and uh, taking memories from the past that it was just a really interesting episode, definitely recommended, but it was cool to think, okay, we've been given this sort of superpower in comparison to the rest of the, the living things on this earth. Like right. we got to use it. Like it'd be a waste if we didn't. Right. And, and I would hate that feeling, that feeling of like, it scares me. Like I shudder when I think about it, that feeling of being at the end of it. We get it in, in small bursts as well, right? Like at the end of high school, I remember at the beginning of high school, the, the principal came down and, and she said that your job here should be to leave a legacy. And at the end of high school, and I, and I was like, it's high school. Like, I didn't really care. I was just doing what I do. You know what I mean? I was yeah. like the popular kid. I didn't really, I played my sports. I did whatever. At my the end of my making it through puberty. <laughs> right. right. But at the end of my high school, I was like, Man, I have not left shit to this. High school. I have <laughs> nothing. And I, I feel like the same thing with university to a lesser degree, but also like really, truly, what have I contributed? Mm-hmm. And now imagine if I, to myself, I'm imagining if at the end of my life, I had that same feeling about the rest of my life, about, about my, my, my whole existence. That's a yeah, scary feeling. I, that what you're describing to me is an ex- existential crisis. But right. secondly, like I feel you, like you, if you have that feeling on a micro level about a four year stretch of your life, imagine that being an 80 year stretch of your life. Oh my God. And imagine that being the whole life. And then that's it. You can't do anything about it anymore. That's it. Right. I think fundamentally though, if what we're, when you're talking about this, you're talking about an end game. And so for context, I'm also someone like that, the fear of reaching the end of my life and saying, shit, I did nothing scares the living hell out of me. Like I, I've, I've thought about this at length, but where I keep hitting a wall and this is the gap I'm about to get into that we, that I think we need to bridge is I know where I want to be. I want to be 80, whatever on my deathbed and be able to say, you know what? I did something. I, people are going to know, or like, I feel good about that on my own. What I don't know is what happens between now and 80 to make that happen. And Mm. I think really what we're talking about is what is your measuring stick for impact, right? What is that scale? What defines success in that regard? Obviously to me, that's going to be different for everybody, but what is that? And how do we find that? I'll tell you what Tupac said. Tupac said that he might not change the world, but if he could inspire one life to change the world, then he'd be happy. Yeah. I, I, want to play devil's advocate a little bit here because I really like that part because that seems doable but the the Islam phrase that you said about like what have you contributed to the world like if people aren't missing what you provide like that that's I could not sleep for three days like staying up late thinking okay what the hell have I been doing for the last 27 years I struggle a bit at not being too hard on myself like I came home one time from an event sat in my car and was like what have I done with my life? Like I had a whole spiral because I was being, I was just clouded by negativity and uh, some self-deprecating thoughts. But then when I actually do the catalog, so it helps me when I'm in those moments to do a catalog, like I list, I'm like, you did this and it was intentional. You did this and it was the, uh, this was the impact you did that. So I have to force myself to already celebrate so much of what I've done in order to motivate me to do stuff going forward and not get sort of down in the dumps of like, what have you done? So how do you guys manage the negativity not stunting the future? Uh, for me, I, I'm, I'm always, the on, for me, the only way of getting out of that negativity is moving on to something else. Hmm. So it's, it's like, and that's difficult to do. And for, for me, like the model for it is really just do it. So, but, but I, I, I'm careful with saying that because I know a lot of people aren't able to do that and they really get stuck. I have a really good friend of mine who, who gets like this and, and unfortunately just gets stuck in this circle of negativity and can't break through it. For me, it's like the only way I can get out of this circle of negativity is going forward and doing something. And if that means getting a job at a pizza restaurant, that's what it is. If it means going to do, you know, learning a new skill, that's what it is. But I have to move forward and do something. Like, where is the goal? Now just go and try and achieve it. But I, I, I also think the first thing that's important to do, which I don't know if I've done yet or if any of you have done yet, is uh, kind of like Ashay said, that, that, that measuring stick of impact is defining that individually. I do think it, it differs individually. But I think if you don't have that measuring stick, then you're not really moving towards anything. 
I would, I would also argue that it's the whole, so I want to touch on two things. I want to talk to that point, Retta, because my argument would be that it's not even a question of what you do in life. Like it, what you do does not matter. All that matters is that measuring stick, how you're measuring it, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody can, anybody can do whatever the hell you want. But if, if you're laying on your deathbed and you're like, you know what? Yeah, my, my family is going to miss me because I, I, I think I brought some light into their lives. I think, and that makes you feel good. I think you, that's your measuring stick. You did it, right? Right, if, right. If someone's going to be like, oh man, I, I, I missed a Shea because on season 92 of, of that Fuck Small Talk podcast, he's not going to be there no more because he's, he's dead. <laughs> the million, the million, the 1.5 billion people that listen to our podcast by that time <laughs> are going to miss me. To me, that's, that's, that's equally as valid as saying one person's going to miss me. And so I think the whole, it's ultimately a question of what your measuring stick is, not a question of what you've done. Right. right. So now it's let's how, define the measuring stick. Yeah, well, it's, how you, it, it, it's how you frame it. And th- which is why I want to come back. That's, this is how I'm tying this back to what Danny said too, is it's, to me, it's a question of framing and what, what really, I don't want to, I'm not going to pretend like I don't, I get negative. I get really dark. Sometimes I get hard on myself. I'm, I don't, I'm moody, but what changed for me is when I realized that I don't have to be that way if I don't want to be that way. Ultimately, I'm in control of my thoughts and my thoughts are not in control of me, which is exactly what you're doing, Danny, right? You're reframing. You're saying, okay, there's parts of my day that are really bad, but hey, what are the good things? Let me reframe this day to look at, oh, this, okay, actually, you know what? This was pretty good. Yeah, there's a couple of things in there that I did really well. That, per- that one person I talked to really had a positive interaction with me. That was awesome. That's dope. That was a really great interaction, right? And, and, and when you reframe that way, I think ultimately you're going to be able to control your thoughts and just realizing you're in control of your your thoughts you're in control of your feelings and those are what ultimately determine what your measuring stick is so you if you if we define our values in an intentional way and then focus on the do something principle of like even if it's not the the end thing or the thing you the biggest thing you ever do the do something that matches up with those values that you've clearly defined intentionally will help you feel positive and like you're accomplishing stuff in the world and making a difference and an impact. Done. What's your measuring stick? (laughs) Man. So the measuring stick, I I think, I think for me, now I'm doubting myself. So now I don't know. Oh, 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 talk that loud. Where's the doubt originating from? I don't know what the, I don't know what the quantification of it is. So, I think the measuring stick is the quantification of the values. Is it one life or is it a hundred lives? Is it saving a hundred thousand refugees? Is it saving one refugee? I don't know. <laughs> I, I battle between quantity and quality on a regular basis because like I can be like, I had two conversations this week, but they were fire conversations. But then I can be like, oh, I had, I connected 12 people this week and it we accomplished this like it's so hard not to to value one over the other i i think and like if you have the values though can the measuring stick not be like because i think sometimes where the intentional conversation with one person fills up like that measuring stick like can the measuring stick be adaptable because i'm yeah no no I i think qualitatively it can, but, but now what is the actual amount that you need to fulfill for it to be like, I'm good. And is there, is there a universal level of this is the minimum for a measuring stick? And if you mm-hmm. don't even do this, then are you a waste of existence? Hmm. That's, that's blunt and rude, but, but are you, is there like a universal level? Like if you're just like a nasty person, if you're an evil person who wishes evil and ill will upon people and doesn't benefit anything good to your family or to the world, have you contributed anything? No, then I'm sorry, you fall below that universal line of a measuring stick. But where is that line? I don't, I have no idea. Do you have a historical example of anybody that you could think of? Like Hitler, like, sorry, dog. Yeah. Below that line. Yeah. 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 I yeah I'm on this whole thought process uh, that is very interesting in my brain (laughs) where then I'm thinking like we're essentially in that metaphor pinning like we're now comparing like we're we're setting up 
a list here of what makes somebody say like, okay, that's a, that's a, like, I don't think we can universally measure it. What you're talking about is valuing a human life. Yeah. Right. Where's our, where's our um, actuaries? Get them in the room. <laughs> I took to a class. Some, talk to me about some numbers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't think there's an answer to this question. I don't think there is either. And I, I mean, I, I'm going to request that this part be cut out because I don't want to be that guy that's defending Hitler. <laughs> I almost did too, in a way, because I was like, you like, if we're thinking outside of ourselves, like, like off the record, go, we're not <laughs> go Shay, Cause I'm really curious what you were going to say. If it no, I, I think, I think it's going to be a lot of the same thing. Like that guy fucking sucked. And then the whole world was like, Oh shit, that guy sucks. Let's never do that again to the best of our ability. Let's put laws in place. Let's, set up things let's empower these people and set up this network and stuff to change that i think those frankly those are positives that would have taken another i don't know x amount of time had he not decided to be a horrible 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 human being not that not that genocides hmm. are gone and done with right right but well, i think it's like history does give us a benchmark of growth yes there was growth that came out of that i mean the the floor for that, the starting point is very low. I don't think we had to go there to learn the same lesson. <laughs> no, I feel like it could have been much less extreme. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that I, was my, what were you going to say, Denny? Well, I was just going to say that value systems can be dangerous because you could take three people with the exact same quote unquote, or like if they were to articulate their set of values, they could be the exact same, but how people choose to take those set of three values, let's say, and execute it in action mm. looks completely different. So Hitler might've had, if you were to say it, the same value system as like some other person, but they choose to do execute it in different ways. He chose like mass genocide and other people choose like community and um, ways of bringing people together. But it's so interesting to me that like, something could be the same out of the most horrible person that we're putting like so below the benchmark of humanity and some other person. So, so then is it not based on the action and rather based on the intention? Yeah. I don't, well, because like, I don't want to, I don't want to help some old lady across the street because the five cars that are watching saw me help this lady across the street. Like the intention is I want that lady to be safe to get across the street. Not about like, it gives me another tick on my, I'm a good person um, bedpost. Totally agreed. Yeah. I mean, that being said, you made your point about how like people who you don't agree with, like people that you think are horrible people and below that line, they probably don't think that they're horrible people or below that line. No, not at like, all. I don't think, I don't think those people or Hitler are going to their deathbed being like, shit, I suck. Yeah. Right. He was probably like, damn it. I tried to do everything I could to do all this good in the world and nobody wants it. Right. Right. Like, I feel like my brain is going in three different directions right yeah, now. Me like, too, me what too. are we even talking about? Like, it's, it's so cool, though. <laughs> I don't know how we got here. <laughs> I, haven't yeah. I haven't felt my brain stretch this much from a philosophical argument in a while. So I really appreciate this, this dialogue. Me too. This is dope. But, but I think what I take from it is that, yeah, is I don't think that that measuring stick is related to the action whatsoever. Because yeah. really, truly, if somebody was completely disabled and have the intention of changing the world in some sort of way, then I think they're just as valuable as the next guy. Maybe not from an external point of view because there was nothing tangible that came out of it, but internally, in their, and maybe this has to do with my relationship with religion, but internally they have achieved that, that um, alignment of intention, which is really all that you can do. Because I'm of the belief that the action necessarily isn't necessarily in your hands. The intention is. The intention is what mm. you can change. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, that we don't have the power to control the action. The outcome of that intention isn't in our hands. The conflict here is that the action is open for interpretation. The intention is hard to know by anybody other than the person doing the action. That's a that's, big line. That's what we're trying to reconcile here. Yeah. Right. When I think the intention is the part that's going to make you happy or not on your deathbed. And like you said, like the action's so up for interpretation. Yeah, the, the action is going to drive what people think of you on your deathbed and the intention is going to drive what you think of you on your deathbed. And, and the second one is all that matters. So 
by that logic. Unless your values are messed up and you think like what the world <laughs> looks at you, what you did as the measure of success, like, oh yeah. man, like. Or like by that logic, Hitler cleared that bar. Hitler went like. He, exactly. He could uh, be like peachy keen. Uh, I'll have to take a nap after this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like all turned around. I'm, oh boy. Let's, let's get a whiteboarding session going. <laughs> <laughs> I want to uh, I want to circle back then now that we're talking about actions, um, to to definition. We've been trying to put a definition on this the entire time. We've been and trying so, to solve the world, right? <laughs> yeah, you've been trying to. We're young Aristotle's over here. Uh, <laughs> Shaq's nickname. I'm sorry, Shaq. Um, no, I want to. We're talking a lot about essentially what we're saying is: do our actions define us, or do our intentions define us? So. Like, is, what do you think? Do you think that when you're looking at somebody's life, right, does what they do define them? And that you can even, you can take this any way you want. Like, I'm, I'm, I might even take this the career way. Like, I don't, do I think that what I do for work defines me? Right now, yes. Forever, maybe. I don't know. Hmm. I don't yeah. think, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think I look more to intentions. Yeah, me yourself. And, and no, relating for everybody. Oh. Like if somebody does something and I don't agree with it, before I react to it, I always run through the possibility of what they were intending to do. Mm-hmm. Like give them the benefit of the doubt almost. Yeah. And yeah. it helps me understand people more because I usually then talk with them about that. I try and figure out what people are thinking through a dialogue. So I look more to intention. I don't really care if you have the numbers to back it up. Like, I want to know why you did what you did. Right. And, and I think that's, be, for me at least, that's totally related to the idea that we do not control the action. The, the outcome is completely out of our hands. I guarantee you there are millions of people in the world who have accidentally killed people. The outcome, the action was somebody died, but the intention was never to kill that person. I don't yeah. think that, like, there should be no negativity put on that person whatsoever because the, there was, the intention was never negative. So how could you blame someone for that? Yeah. Well, I mean, yes. that's why the justice system puts intention as a higher level of um, punishment. Right. It's fascinating. So yeah. actions don't matter. Done. Call it a day. Actions don't matter. Yeah. Hey, yeah. I'm going to retire as the best person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> But no, but I think this is important too. I think this is this is going to define for for me at least. This is going to define a lot of. I think I need to go back and do some rethinking in that. What truly matters when it comes down to it? Maybe that the goal of life, instead of trying to make impact in terms of action, maybe the goal in life is to just realign the intention properly. I think we all have parts of that intention that are driven by the lower self driven by maybe ego revenge like you know areas like that where if we can clean those up and if we can do the hard work that is necessary to be able to realign the intention maybe that's it maybe that's all that we need to do and then then we're good then you 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 enter into the realm of death with a sound heart and the your life the goal of your life was to clean up that heart and now you've entered with a sound heart. Maybe you make actionable impact and maybe you don't and you just wanted to and didn't have the opportunity to. I or love the term heart work. <laughs> Good. I like that. I made it up on the spot. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> you essentially framed up objective morality in a more personable way. Because yeah. I think objective morality is hard to conceptualize. Mm-hmm. to an individual but i think you i think you framed it up in a way that's a little bit more personable and approachable so hats off to you for that that was some word smithery i'll take it by accident i'll take it <laughs> but i was gonna say hey it's interesting that throughout all this not a single one of us has talked about money Ooh, monetary i like impact. that and I think that speaks to some values. Yeah. Well, I've said it on past episodes where like my, and I, I wanted to ask this question too, of like, who's, who in your life has given you permission to, to feel like following 
your passions is a worthwhile thing. Because for me, like I've had to fight, my parents have not been those people. Like my mom told me to not do half the stuff that I've done because of that fear. Mm -hmm. So like money isn't a motivator for me at all. It's a happy accident uh, if it does happen, but. I think the way I, and this is also very angsty and existential, so bear with me. But the way, the way I perceive money too is like, I'm, I'm afraid to have a lot of it because I'm afraid that when I have a lot of it, my primary fear will be losing it and that will motivate me. Hmm. Does that make sense? But is that like a real genuine fear that you have? No, it's not something that keeps me up at night. Sure, sure. But it's a reason that money is not a motivator. Okay. okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. I, I think money, I've realized that money is crucial to fulfilling now that I have to rethink everything, I don't know. But the the idea that I have about making impact, money is crucial for that. If you don't have money, then you can't make impact in the world. Like it's difficult. Absolutely. My, if you if you asked me what my dream was, my long term dream was to have this huge foundation that you know allocates has brings in a lot of money, has galas and stuff, and like allocates money to the right stuff. Right. But again, like to me, money is an enabler for anything and everything but specifically money is an enabler for morality in yourself right absolutely and i, I think it's just important that money continues to be a medium and if it's if it's a medium then great as soon as it becomes the goal i think that's where there's issues. Oh, yeah money is a really hard thing that clouds a lot of judgment in general mm -hmm. um and like re-evaluating priorities as you get more of it like could completely change what you had intended to do with it right i personally don't like money and prefer exchange of goods and services as a method to get Barter stuff but system. i know that, yeah but i know that that's also limiting as well i just think that in light of what's happening in the world i've seen that as a positive where people are actually using exchange of goods and services to cope in this and i've seen that recenter people's intentions and i'm like that's cool it's really tough to tackle i think especially in the context of this conversation like and i think i think the points made about how it, it ultimately what matters is how you prioritize it right it's prioritizing as long as it's okay i think it's okay that money's the uh, priority as long as it's not the number one priority okay. question that i like to ask my friends if nothing else mattered right now what would you be doing? Like, what would you design your ideal life right now? My ideal life takes time to get to there. Hmm. And so essentially what my dream is, is to have a, a network of cash generating businesses, whatever they are, investment councils, uh, insurance companies, doesn't matter. Whatever the income is does not matter to me, but essentially feeds a foundation. Like it's, I don't want it to be publicly owned or anything like that because I want it to, hmm. I, I want to be able to direct 80, 90% of those profits, 95% of those profits into a foundation. And that foundation is what I want to spend my time doing, running that, direct, making sure that those funds are directed towards things that matter, right? And I mean, do, you feel like, do you feel like you're on the path to that right now? And this is getting kind of personal, so feel free to jump in. No, out. I wanted the second section of this episode to be more personal, so like okay, cool. way to read my mind. <laughs> cool, okay. It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell because like I said, building up that network and infrastructure to have a cash generation cycle to go into a um a foundation takes time experience expertise it's not something i can do on my own right it, i think it's going to take a team and it's also going to take people believing in me and and to, for people to believe in me i think externally credibility has to be a factor so i think right now i'm in the building credibility building experience phase of this i think Ooh. the fact that in your mid-20s you're already thinking about that as a goal with... yeah that's inspiring dude yeah I, yeah. Thank you. That's very flattering. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, straight up. What about you, Danny? Your turn. Build oh. your ideal life now. Is, <laughs> Reda, is this your <laughs> podcast? <laughs> I love it. Mine is like, I'm, I'd say I'm still conflicted at the single path. And the, the conflict happens of the voice that thinks this is what you're supposed to be doing. And the voice that says this is what I'd actually like to be doing. Uh, and I haven't quite reconciled those two voices. I would say the what I feel like 
I get value out of is connecting people and helping people accomplish their goals. It's like the center. So I've always come at it from a place in business, uh, from consulting. So I like to give people ideas or have you thought of this or here's a way you could do that. And if I, if I was financially, like if the, the pocketbook was, was endless, I would be funding small businesses that I believe in that could be successful on a grander scale. So that incubator life really gets to me. And I, I'm so obsessed with incubators and what they can do for small businesses and like microfunding is just a huge thing for me. So I would, I would own an incubator if I really could, because then I can consult on lots of different businesses, but populate that workspace with multiple industries because I think cross-industry collaboration is the way we solve the world's problems. <laughs> so like consulting is where I'd like to go in the world. But then I have this like other arm of the helping people part that is obsessed with kids. And I've always said, if money doesn't matter, I'd be a kindergarten teacher. Um, mainly because I just love working with youth and helping them through the times that I didn't feel like I was an only child and didn't have parental communication about struggles. And so a huge part of like what I've done as an adult is like look to reach out to kids to help them through times. And I think I can still accomplish that with the incubator life. It's like helping kids get volunteer experience or jobs or participation. Like there's definitely an overlap there. So that would be my ideal life completely. I do have this other like macro brain of where I think like you're supposed to go or what I'm supposed to be doing. And I have this obsession with like, um, helping world disasters, I, but that part is like not crafted enough at a scale that I feel like I could actually participate. But I have this thing where I'm like under pressure, solid. So like put me in a field that could take on like massive logistics and stopping massive crises is appealing to me for the world impact of it. But I don't know if I would actually feel the happiest there. Right. I just feel like there could be a skill set overlap that I'm like, ah, you should go there. The world needs it. Like the future needs it. But then I'm like, but also this is kind of where I want to stay. Right, so I'm right. like, I'm, I'm battling those two things right now, but that, that's, that's the world vision. Cool. That's dope. I think it's, really it's, it's cool. Like talking about those ideal dreams. It's cool talking about the life that we decide that we want to build, because I think a lot of the times we get caught up in the day to day and we kind of forget the bigger picture. So I think it's important to remind ourselves. I, something I like advice that I'd like to give myself out loud. Remind yourself, son. Yeah. Okay. Got around it. The trifecta. <laughs> um, I think for me, for a long time, I was. Uh, it was conflict resolution was important to me on a on a global scale from like an international politics point of view. Um, so my father was very involved in the political revolutionaries in Libya in the 80s against Gaddafi. So he was actually involved in like logistics of how they were going to oust Gaddafi and take over the country and democratically um, or democratize the country. Um, so it was it's pretty crazy. I'll give you a little bit of background on my father's story because I, I think it's important for context. He, he essentially had to run away from Libya um, and then was in England. And in England, there was Libyan led assassinations against um, revolutionaries who had moved to in England. England was almost like the headquarters outside of Libya mm. for people involved in ousting Gaddafi. Uh, so there was assassinations that happened to multiple of my father's really good friends in England. And so England was no longer a safe place, which is wild when you think about it, that England was no longer a safe place. So that's when my father left and moved to, to Canada. I think if when we think about the impact, for me, when I think about the impact that uh, Gaddafi made on, you know, they say population 7 million people, it's if I could have done anything in that time, it would be similar to what my father had done and mm -hmm. tried to figure out a way of fixing that situation. So right now, looking back and looking at especially the area of, you know, North Africa, the MENA region, so Middle East, North Africa, um, there's so much conflict there, so much conflict. So how do we, how, how, what is my role? What can be my role in making sure that I can have impact in each of these people's lives all through when you're dealing, for me, when you're dealing with 
dictatorships like this, all it takes is a conversation with one, two, three people. It's not like a democracy where now you have to convince a panel of people to vote your way. This is like one person controls the majority of the situation. If you can convince that one person to do something right, then you've saved hundreds of thousands of lives potentially. Mm. Um, so that was it for a very long time. But recently I've been very connected to the idea of identity in Muslim diaspora and what it means to be like a Muslim Canadian or a Muslim American. Um, and this new identity that's being created now that's never existed before. Um, so I'm between those two kind of battles to see which one will win. If, if any, who knows? Maybe I'll just turn out to be a scumbag and not achieve anything in life. But my oh intention my will be right. You can't, so you that's can't all that finish your, your speech <laughs> on that note. To flush that down the gutter at the end. Oh my God. But as long as my intention's in the right place, I'm good. I want to clarify, like your ideal life looks like you doing one of those two things. One of those two things. Gotcha. I don't know which one yet right now, but, but see, and this is the whole thing with like, that could change tomorrow. This is the whole thing with quitting. And I think that's okay. That that changes tomorrow. If, if tomorrow I decide, no, I, I just want to do, you know, this other thing that may seem meaningless to me right now, but tomorrow has all the meaning in the world, then it's okay for me to quit whatever I'm deciding to do now in order to fulfill that passion. Passion is only temporary, I think. And it has an end date that might be the end of your life or that might be next week. And as long as you continue to move with that fluid movement that happens inside of you, then I think you're okay. And you're not internally conflicted, which allows you to be successful in whatever that passion is. I couldn't agree more. And I think that allowing yourself the reality that passion comes in wave or bursts of creativity or bursts of motivation comes in waves and being patient with yourself at sifting through that and sometimes waiting until the next one hits and being okay with the base life that you've created is a healthy pattern absolutely because mm -hmm. like yeah, it's, it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna be consistent which like if we come back to the values that you set at the core of who you are like that's going to get you through the, the lower times of creativity, like the stuff, the times where you're just like sitting in your own skin and that if you're okay with who you are from your value system, that will help in the, in the valleys of that roller coaster. hundred percent. That's the only thing that'll get you through it essentially. Yeah. I, I like that. And that's, I was going to say that that's the part that I feel like I would struggle the most with is what forgiving myself for letting that passion wane. I, I, that was very eloquently put by the two of you. Thank you. Do you want to do the honors? Sure. So we have this segment for each of our episodes called Big Talk, Small Summary. So we've talked real big for the last hour and a half, and then we got to somehow drop a piece of summarization to what, what we're thinking and how, the, and it doesn't have to be preachy. It can be internally focused. Yeah. Cool. I think this I, is my favorite part of the, the show. This is dope. Thanks. Yeah. It's okay to fly. Well, I say that to excuse my own behavior. It's okay <laughs> to fly off the rails on the word or phrase. Like Danny said, I usually will come up with a phrase and then spend a minute and a half explaining that phrase. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like your point here, Shay, on the notes where it says, how does what we do define us to ourselves and others? Like what's a word or a phrase to answer that question? It's oh, heavy, wow. but oh, wow. I kind of like it. I feel like mine's lame, but I like it. Hey, if you like it, it's not lame. Roll with it. But I want to take a board space if people need silent space to think. Can I go? No, no, I'm okay. Okay. There's nothing happening up here. <laughs> <laughs> Doubtful. I, I preach, I feel like sometimes there, if you were to string together all my big talk, small summaries, there is like a theme to all of them. And I, I'm like, I just come up with new shit. But then I'm like, eh, no, I think this speaks to like the core of who I am, who I always come back to. But for me, like kindness is key here. And I think that that's my phrase. And I think that that touches a lot of the things that are important to me about this discussion in the intention behind what I do, the kindness internally focused of not being too hard on myself in trying to, to follow my life's passion, but also provide metrics that I've actually done it. Um, but then in the action that I do in the world to live out my value system and live out the experiences that I've put on my goal list, kindness is so central to those actions. Like I just, 
that is the philosophy that I choose to live my life with. And I don't know how to close this out with a nice pretty bow, but I just like, for me, kindness is key because it, it speaks to intention, action and values. I, I think, I think for me, it's the idea of being crucial vulnerability in the path is absolutely crucial vulnerability in the journey of life is crucial and not necessarily emotional vulnerability but recognizing that that journey of life can collapse and probably will collapse multiple times throughout it all but recognize that it's that's okay and that rebuilding process is necessary for you to fulfill that life way bigger than whatever you allowed me to do but but essentially what i'm saying is we are going to fall so many times, whether emotionally, whether mentally, whether physically, through this journey of life. And it's okay to fall. So kindness is key to you. It's okay to fall. Number two is that rebuilding process is so crucial for what the end of your life is going to look like. That the, the story will be painted by the rebuilding process, not necessarily by the fall. Ooh, I really like that. And building on the two things that you two mentioned in terms of kindness is key and, and the beauty is in the rebuild, not in the fall, you're defined by that. I think what really sticks out to me about a lot of our conversation is that the realization that, hey, you're, you're in control, you're in the driver's seat of this thing, right? Whether, whether you're taking this thing that's broken and fix, putting it back together with gold or throwing it out is your decision and giving yourself permission to be in control first and foremost of, of what it is that you want to do and how you want to handle situations. And then being kind enough to yourself to say, Hey, I took control. I fucked up, but now I need to take control again. You know what I mean? You have the agency in your life. You have the agency in your life. And then ultimately the person that's going to drive what you think of yourself is you. And I so, really like the giving yourself permission to be in the driver's seat. Cause it, that's a really positive way to say that versus the accept responsibility of your own life. Mm. I find really daunting, whereas mm-hmm. giving yourself permission to be in the driver's seat is a really cool way to look at it. That was amazing. Yo, I, my brain is stretched. This and was, I, I like ex- that. I, this has given me a lot of like, cause I'm an extrovert and I need stimulus in order to feel like motivated and awake. And I just feel like this is going to be a struggle to, to wind down. <laughs> me too. I have a lot of thinking to do. I want to say thank you for one, being a really, really cool person. Like I told Ashay, I was like, this guy's really cool. I already know it, but like, you'll think he's really cool. Uh, two, being adaptable to this setup has been also really awesome that we were able to accommodate this. And three, being like a participant in this really, really awesome conversation. So thank Man, you. No, thank you guys so much. I think what you guys are doing is so cool. And I think the talk about impact, I think the opportunity of this podcast to have extreme impact is like the potential is, is bounds and leaps forward. I, I'm really excited to see what comes out of it. Thank you for listening. If you have questions, comments, concerns, or feedback, you can shoot us an email by emailing fsmalltalk at gmail.com, reach out to us on Instagram at fsmalltalk, or visit our website, fsmalltalk.com. We wanted to give a big thank you to our lovely and talented friend Ada for the musical considerations. She's an amazing up-and-coming independent recording artist specializing in R&B, pop, and funk. She's available for collabs and shows, so if you liked what you heard, simply hit her up on Instagram, at AdaSoLive. That's at A-I-D-A so live. If you want to hear more of her stuff, you can find her at soundcloud.com forward slash Ada so live. That's soundcloud.com forward slash A-I-D-A so live. She's amazing, so definitely go check her out. A big thank you also goes out to Lonnie for producing the awesome track you heard. He is an R&B and hip-hop producer who's worked with major artists, including Drake, Beyonce, and Lil Wayne. He's available to work with at his Toronto studio, so if you're interested, simply check him out on Instagram at HitHouseToronto. That's at HitHouseToronto. So again, big thank you to Ada and Lonnie. This podcast was brought to you by us. And also beer. And also coffee. Because what is sleep even? Also, hi mom. Love you.